we're going to uh, pick up where we left off two weeks ago. Um, how many of you have been following along with the gifts and callings that we've been talking about these last couple weeks? If you've not heard them, we're not going to really summarize them very much, maybe just a little. Uh, they're online, they're on the website, uh, they're on YouTube, so, uh, but um, these, the previous messages we've talked about the office of a teacher, the office of a pastor. A teacher is one that can build a picture of the word of God in you, line upon line, bit by bit. He, it's as though, this is how I say it, he, uh, <laughs> all right, we're going to get unchurchy here for a minute. Anybody ever watch Star Trek? <laughs> nope, just me, okay. So, well, we're, okay, Daryl, Daryl, okay. It's minister to somebody. Anybody ever seen him beam him up? You at least know that, right? Beam him up, okay. Well, what do they do? They take the guy that's on the surface of the planet or wherever he is, you know, and he's standing there. They dematerialize him. They turn him into little bits somehow. All right. I'm still waiting for this so I can do this so I don't have to fly or drive or do any of that stuff. All right. But they dematerialize this guy and then they reassemble him <laughs> wherever they shoot him off to, whether it's a ship or, you know, whatever. Okay. So a teacher takes what's in the word. All right. There is an image. Everybody say image. There's images in the word, okay? I like the word images better than verses because verses are parts of an image, right? But the image in the word is what you really stand on. It's not, now if a verse typifies or, or it, if it ex exemplifies an image in the word, then stand on that verse if you need to say it that way, okay? But it's the image that's in the word that has the power, okay? And many times that image is constructed in chapters, even whole books, okay? So when you take a verse out of context and you try and stand on it, what you've done is fragmented part of it and you're standing on it and you're probably, most likely, not always, but most likely, you're misinterpreting it. And so you're going to stand on it and claim your promise and God's trying to, you know, <laughs> that's not what I said. Sorry, you know. <laughs> they take it out of context, okay? Uh, a teacher will see the image in the word and will break it apart. It's the job of a teacher or any office that involves teaching, okay? Because not only teachers teach, but we talked about how pastors are also called to feed. Everybody remember that? One of their occupations is to feed the flock of God. Well, in the same capacity, a teacher breaks apart images in the word of God. And just like milk, you know, like a baby needs milk, that is a, a that is uh, something that has been deconstructed that's palatable for a baby, okay? So a teacher, his calling is designed to break things apart, feed it to the sheep, and rebuild, just like that Star Trek thing, okay? <laughs> rebuild the image of the truth in you. Because the first and foremost function of the church at large, and, and when I say church, I mean the incorporate body of Christ, not just a pastor and a small building. The, the purpose of the church is to build up disciples and the saints. It's not in the cathedrals. It's not in the outward. It's not in show and pomp and circumstance. It is a spiritual kingdom. 
It is an internal work, okay? And if the sheep are being fed the truth, that is the number one priority, especially for a teacher, okay? All right? Now, that is the primary importance, okay? Now, there's other parts of the body that also minister to physical needs, okay? But the important part of teaching is that the truth is being conveyed and understood, and it's a right image, not a wrong image. We went over in John, and John gave severe warning, and he used the tongue as an example of the teaching gift, and he says the tongue can steer an entire body one way or the other. Remember that? Okay, so now let's transition over to pastors. Pastors are not only called to teach in that sense, okay? They're also called to be the local head of a body, okay? Not that they are replacement for the body, like Christ, okay? But what we see in the pattern of the word, this is how God works in what we see in everywhere, whether it's in a home setting, whether it's in a church setting, or whether it's the whole body of Christ, whether Old Testament, New Testament, he puts somebody in authority in a body, okay? Now in the home, the scriptures say the man is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And in a local congregation, the pastor, it says specifically, he's not only called to feed, but he's also called to oversee, okay? And we went through all those verses where it's oversight, part of his job is oversight, part of his job is teaching, part of his job is guarding the sheep, guarding the wolves, or guarding from the wolves, all right? Um, my dad, I can remember, I remember the guy, I remember being here. I was probably, I don't know, 15, well, what would I have been? I was 2000, 1999. Yeah, something like that. But um, I can remember the guy coming to the church and I was with my dad and he came in and he says, I have a message from God for your church and for every church. And it was Y2K. Okay, it was Y2K, how this is. Now, I don't know how, you know, if any of you fell susceptible to Y2K, you know, whatever. I just, you just move on and you learn, right? You learn from your mistakes. <laughs> Uh, but, but this guy wanted to get up in the pulpit and preach the fear of it, okay? Preach the, the gloom and doom, and, and dad said, no, this is not the message, you know, here, you know. And, and since my time being pastor, I've had times where people have wanted to come preach. I've had people come to this church, stay for a short period of time, and they had an agenda. Everybody say an agenda. <laughs> they had somebody they wanted to bring in and preach here. And I listen to them, I look at them, I say, well, first off, I don't know you. All right, <laughs> um, let's get a track record here, you know. Uh, and, and incidentally, I don't feel compelled just because somebody claims to be a preacher, claims to have, you know, no Christ. I mean, that's how deception happens all the time. Oh, yeah, we preach Christ. So, yeah, so does the guy that, you know, anyway, we're <laughs> I'm not going to go down all those rabbit trails. Uh, the guy that, you know, I forget his name. What was the guy that did the Kool-Aid thing? Was it Bob Jones? Am I right, Bob Jim Jones, yeah. Now, he, he started out being full gospel, Holy Ghost, you know. He started out right. I'm not going to have him preach in my church. No. So he said, just because somebody claims Christ, and I'm amazed, I'm amazed at the, it's just like the walls are down in, in churches where, oh, yeah, we'll just swap, we'll just rotate pastors. Oh, no, we're not, I'm not going to do that. I've never heard you preach. And, and, and it, especially if I get a check or a discerning witness from the Holy Ghost that what you're preaching isn't true, I'm not going to let you preach here. And, I've, and as a pastor, you have to make that call 
to say no, <laughs> but say, say no. And it's, it's not always the best thing. We've lost people for it, and I, I love you, it's, but it's not necessarily my job to chase you down either. If you, you know, if I present the truth, I try and do justly what God has given me to do, and, and that's all you can do, right? So as a pastor, it's not only teaching and feeding. It's also oversight. It is direction for a local body, um, and it's also guarding against wolves that would preach wrong doctrine, okay? So today, we're going to cover, hopefully, we're going to try and cover two. Uh, we're going to cover the evangelist and the prophet. And we're going to start, if you would, by turning to Acts uh, chapter 21. And both of these offices are mentioned in this, in this verse. So we'll kind of use this verse or these verses as a, a touchstone to come back to. Uh, because actually both of these, um, there's two really good examples of, of, of one of, a, of an evangelist and one of a prophet in the New Testament. Um, there's Philip the evangelist, which some of you have probably heard about. And Agabus, the prophet, which is probably less likely <laughs> that you've heard about Agabus, okay? But we're going to cover both of them, and we're going to see how the Holy Ghost, everybody say Holy Ghost. We're going to see how the Holy Ghost used them, because there is no such thing as an office in the body of Christ that is not empowered by the Holy Ghost. There is no such thing. I don't care how many examples to the contrary. I don't care how many people go through the process of becoming a powerless pastor just because you go through and step in the pulpit and say you're a pastor and everybody affirms you as pastor. If God didn't affirm you as a pastor, then you, you're wrong. And if that wipes out 90% of pastors, that's judgment starts at the house of God, right? So there needs to be a clarifying because... I never once sought this right here, what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I did not. I, had to, I didn't have. My only, my only MO in life was to follow God, <laughs> right? I, I, there were, now, everybody has dreams and aspirations, and they have, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be XYZ thing like everybody else wanted to be XYZ thing. But if you're going to follow God, that means you have to trust him with those XYZ things. Everybody following me? So I was doing my best. I worked in a job where I didn't get paid a lot, but I knew that's where I was supposed to work. And I just spent time. Uh, I prayed, I listened, and I tried to do my best to obey. And when the Lord moved me, that's when, that's when I moved. I did not have on my radar at all, okay, to be a pastor. All right. And uh, I don't like people telling me what to do, <laughs> especially if it's family. So that was another roadblock I had to get over. But I'm not... That, that was not, and that was one of the things that I had to get over was, look, just because it's family doesn't mean it's not God. All right, so you follow God, and this is what Jesus said. He says, you, if anybody loves father or mother, sister or brother more than me, he can't be my disciple because the, the devil's gonna find, and it doesn't even require the devil, you're gonna follow what you love, okay? And, and, and if another love can supersede the love you have for God or the love you have for his will, you're going to follow that, all right? You can't have two people in the driver's seat. Ever tried it? Have you ever tried, tried two people try and drive the car at once? That's, the, that's what it's like being you trying to get God to bless your will. 
and you know, I'm going to drive this car, but I want it to be your will. That's not how it works. And you're going to have to learn yieldedness and obedience in whatever your office is, and it is by the Holy Ghost that he sets you in the body. And we've went over that as well. So I say that just to reiterate, pastors are so common. It's one of the most common positions that everybody thinks about. But a pastor is set in the body just like anything else. You can't make yourself a pastor any more than you can make yourself a prophet, any more than you can make yourself an evangelist, any more than you can make yourself a teacher. You are what he says you are. And if you're yielded and obedient, he's gonna, see, you're gonna learn to trust him. And then when you trust him, he'll set you when he needs you, right? And, and there's this kind of operation with God that the church at large does not trust. They take ownership of the process. At large, the church does not trust that God will actually set a pastor in the body. And they do not trust at large that God will remove a pastor from the body. But that's what Jesus said. He said, remember in Revelation, he, says, he said to the church in Ephesus or to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, if you do not come back to your first love, I will remove you quickly. <laughs> remember that? All right, so there is this cooperation with God if this church is going to work. Otherwise, it's just a man's organization posing as God's organization. Everybody with me? All right. So a prophet and an evangelist, just like a pastor and a teacher, they operate by the Spirit of God. All ministry is accomplished through co-laboring with the Holy Ghost, not, not on your own ability, okay? So, uh, everybody in Acts chapter 21, and we will, uh, let's look at verse, we'll look at verse 8 here, we'll start in 8. Acts chapter 21, verse 8, and the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelists. Okay, now the word evangelist, if you were to look it up in the Greek, let me just give you the definition of evangelist. It is to announce the good news, a carrier of the gospel message. Typically, the, the evangelists, they only have one message. You know, they pull out their, their message book, they have one. You need to get born again. That is the message of the evangelist. You need Jesus, you need to get saved. Okay, uh, so the, the meaning of the word evangelist is to announce good news, a carrier of the gospel message, okay? That is their calling, to announce the good news, All right. Now, let's go through and read here, which was one of seven. Okay, I'll just back up. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Now, just as a, I've mentioned this in past, times past, and it, it fits in the structure of what we're talking about because we're talking about gifts and callings in the body of Christ. And so often it is preached incorrectly because they take Paul's words out of context that women don't have a place to speak in the church. Well, how much more that than prophesying? Over Paul, no less. Am I right? Okay, so these, these girls did it. So there is no, um, there, there is, uh, I, I don't know how else to say it except that women are called in the same way that men are called. 
all right? Now, there is an order in the house, which Paul was talking about, but in the church, in the church, there are women that are called in those offices as well, okay? Now, uh, we'll keep reading. And abode with him, and the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus, okay? Now, just for clarification, there is prophesying, and there is an office of a prophet. Um, the distinction is just because there is prophecy or you give a word of prophecy, it does not inherently make you a prophet. You could turn over to, I believe it's 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about, I would that you all spake with tongues, all right? But rather that you gave, uh, you gave a word, okay? And that's prophecy. So there is a place for the gift of prophecy in the church, okay? There's a place for the gift of exhortation, edification, and comfort in the church, but that doesn't make it, that you, you know, just because you give a word or you have a word doesn't mean you're a prophet. There's a difference then between prophesying and being a prophet. Also, let's put it this way. I don't believe there should be anybody, okay, that shouldn't have enough understanding of the word of God that cannot lead somebody to Christ. Am I right? That does not make you an evangelist. You may be doing the work of an evangelist, but you're not an evangelist. Same thing with prophecy or prophesying. Okay. And as we carried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, bound his own hands and feet, and he said, Thus saith who? The Holy Ghost. It's, it's going to be awful hard to do the job of a prophet without the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. So this man, Agabus, he's giving a word of foretelling. And, and the word prophet literally means for, to foretell. Okay, Prophets stand in a place where they, now we'll go into more of the detail, but one of their functions is to foretell what is going to come to pass, okay? And he did this for Paul, and Paul is one that he, everywhere he went, he had this confirmation, but this guy was in the office of a prophet, and he specifically said, if you go up there, they're gonna bind you, okay? And this was the end of Paul's life, and Paul chose, everybody say chose, he made that choice to go ahead and go do it anyway because it was God's will. God never drives you into his will. God never takes you by force. Everything we see, it's yielding to the perfect plan of God, right? Even Jesus, God wasn't gonna make, I, I, this is what's incredible to me is that God didn't force Jesus to go to the cross. He says, I have the power to take up my life and I have the power to lay it down, right? And he yielded his own will and went and did what he was called to do. See, and so this just is a general pattern, just so you get, don't get any wrong ideas. God isn't going to come and pin you down and make you do what he wants, all right? Sometimes people will say that God did that to Paul when he knocked him off his horse at Damascus, right? Or his donkey, all right? But I guarantee you Paul had a choice 
in what he did. And when he was talking and he gave his testimony to King Agrippa at the end of his life, where he's heading right here, he said, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. What's the implication? He could have been, right? He could have been disobedient. Even though Paul was really, really, you know, he had this huge experience, he still had a choice to yield his own will. Everybody see that? Jesus had to yield his will. Paul had to yield his will. You're going to have to yield your will. Okay, so <clears throat> let's start uh, with the evangelist. Let's go to um, Acts chapter 8. And we're going to see Philip in, um, in action here and uh, see what this calling looks like by example, okay? Uh, Acts chapter 8, uh, let's go to verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, okay? And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Now, just stop right there. Why? Don't read. Why did, he, why did they give heed? Because he was such an eloquent speaker. Because he seemed really intelligent. Because he had a lot of money. Because he had a huge group of people already following him. He was a super charismatic guy. No, no. See, how do you evangelize? Let's see. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles. Everybody say miracles. miracles. The miracles which he did. Now, this, this, I don't have any record that this guy knew anybody in this city. He just shows up. Look, imagine this is the strength of you and the Holy Ghost getting in cooperation together. If you, if we would, bow our will, and just take up his, the cross that he has for us. This is the strength. One guy, I mean, this is, a, this is a David and Goliath type thing. I don't know if you see it that way. I'm seeing it that way. One guy comes into a new city. He's, I don't know if he's ever been there before, maybe. Doesn't have to know anybody. He's got the Holy Ghost. What are we gonna do here? I mean, let's just paint this picture. This is the evangelist. What are we gonna do here? He starts healing people. <laughs> He starts healing people. And then, everybody say then. Then he preaches. See? And, we, and the religion tries to get all of these reasons why God won't heal people until their X, Y, Z thing. You know, like, like they got to clean up their act or you haven't been coming to church or you need to give. Now, there might be a degree of judgment for Christians that know the truth, but to the world, they don't know anything. And so Philip is coming to a place that doesn't know God and he just starts healing and setting people free, and then he starts preaching the gospel. How does that sound for him? That's the best formula I can find in the Word, right? You don't need 10 steps to get somebody saved. You just need the Holy Ghost leading and guiding you, right? Sometimes you'll see in these evangelistic programs where they'll, they have a list of 10 questions. They'll confront a sinner and say, have you ever lied, you know? Have you ever? You just start with condemnation first, you know? How about we say, do you need any healing? Let's be real bold, you know. 
Do you need any healing? Now this is the work of an evangelist right here. <clears throat> and they gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many, everybody say many. I mean, this isn't just one or two. This isn't like, this isn't like let's bring them up on the platform. I'm not against that. I don't want anybody to mishear me, okay? I thank God. I love growing up watching people come up on the platform and see. But this was everybody. This was many. This was so many, they did their own advertising. I don't think he put up flyers. Now, I'm not against flyers either, but he didn't run promotional campaigns. He just walks into a city and starts healing and setting people free. That'll do its own preaching. <laughs> That'll do its own advertising. I don't think he had to have a budget for this, except to feed himself, right? Just a lot of things become possible when you believe God's word. A lot of things that man tries to superimpose with their programs. Let's get all this effort behind this. Let's have a budget. You and the Holy Ghost can do quite a bit. Amen? If you believe this word, it's true. Okay. Unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many and were possessed with, that were possessed with them. And many were taken, many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I mean, just meditate on that. They, there's great joy in that city because of everything they knew had happened. The excitement was contagious. There, the whole place was abuzz with what this one guy was doing. There was great, it wasn't just a church meeting. The whole town was enthralled with what, this was, what was happening here. I mean, can you picture the good kind of godly riot that was going on? What is this? This is what he did as an evangelist. This is the work of an evangelist. There was great joy in that city. All right. Now, we'll read a little bit on, I don't want to talk about... Um, this guy here, but we're just going to touch on some of these things for some doctrinal reasons. Uh, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in that same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed uh, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Now... Um, all right, we'll just keep reading. And to him that they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, and Simon himself believed also. Okay. Uh, let me skip down here. Skip down to verse 14. And I want you to just see this because I want you to get a larger picture. We're going to just broaden our scope past just the the uh, evangelist portion, and I want you to see how the evangelist co-labors um, co not only with the Holy Ghost, but with the other parts of the body, okay? Verse 14, now when the apostles uh, which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Verse 15, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now, just as a little doctrinal side note, there are many, 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 I would say vast majority of um, 
vast majority of churches in the United States believe and preach the doctrine mostly because they don't want to confront any kind of tradition, okay? They don't want to confront anything and they don't want to divide anybody off their church, okay? So they preach something everybody can get behind. And what they preach is that you, when you get born again, you get the baptism of the Spirit automatically. That there's just, that's just part of it, okay? If you pray in tongues or not, it really doesn't matter because when you get born again, you get the Holy Ghost, okay? That is not what you see in Scripture, that is not how it goes down. You get born again and you can be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of preach, or speaking in other tongues. But if there's any evidence, look at this here, for instance. These people believed and got born again and they sent John and, and Peter to come fill them all. Now let's, let's read on here, okay? Now, the, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. They've been born again, but they sent Peter and John. I believe, not, now it says here specifically to get them filled with the Holy Ghost. But see, what's supposed to happen, what is supposed to happen when evangelist comes and sweeps through a town, it's not just leaving everybody to their own devices. They are supposed, they're supposed to be a crew of people, God-set people that trains, equips, and gets those young believers into understanding. He didn't say to make converts. He said, Jesus said, to make disciples, right? Make disciples. Everybody say disciples. Disciples are not possible by the operation of the evangelist alone. Okay, converts are, but where a convert is made and there is no superstructure of the church that God has set, converts quickly get taken out. There needs to be others. There needs to be apostles. There needs to be teachers. There needs to be the pastors that they can pour into and get them rooted and grounded in the word. If that is not in place, an evangelist just sweeping through is not doing very much good. And I... I um, I said, uh, I said last week, I think it was, or no, two weeks ago, uh, you know, one of the things that you hear said is that, you know, evangelists will come through and they, they get people born again, they get their cards filled out, and they say, well, now go pick a good Bible-believing church. You just left it up to them to figure out what a good Bible-believing church is. Somebody who's not ever been born again, doesn't know the difference, you know, it needs teaching, now you've left it up to their discernment to pick a good church. And that statement itself implies that there are churches that are not. So how are you going to pick them? <laughs> see, there needs to be, there, see, in, in Acts, Acts, there was only one church, right? And, and now we have so many divisions, but I believe God is purifying the church and raising up a standard of people that can be trusted, that are set by God's appointment, not man's appointment. All right. Now you may be, I, I, I don't want to sound all or nothing. If you're a pastor and you hear this message and you don't think God set you specifically, it doesn't mean you don't have a relationship with God. It just means that you need to, to submit your will to his will and let him purify what he's called you to do. Okay. So this evangelist is the harvesting machine, but then there's the, if I could put it this way, there's the processing that goes on afterwards. There's the growing up of those people. And they sent, they sent um, uh, uh, Peter and John, not only for that purpose, I believe, but also for uh, the filling with the Holy Ghost, which was a separate incident, okay? And verse 16, for, at the, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they that were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then lay their hands on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. And they didn't say get born again. They said, receive the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw, okay, now this is that, <laughs> this is a good teaching. It's just not what we're talking about today. Simon wanted to buy this power, okay? <laughs> um, and Peter was real bold, and he says, your money perish with you, you know? <laughs> Uh, now, go ahead and skip down to, let's see. Um, let's see, what's it? I believe I have 26. Okay, skip down to verse 26. Now, here's another example of how the Holy Ghost co-labored with Philip as an evangelist, okay? This, this, is, this is real life dematerialization, okay? <laughs> I don't know if it's like that exactly, but the Holy Spirit did something, okay? Now, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the, of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now, we're not, you all know this story. We're not going to go into it. But look at how the Holy Ghost alerted Philip to get one person born again. Not only just one person, but one person that had authority to turn many people. Not only many people, but many resources towards the kingdom of God. This guy had great authority. He was, uh, he was like one of the heads of state. He had a, a lot of of influence he had a charge over a lot of wealth and the holy ghost said get that guy go get that guy he went and got that guy preached the kingdom to him by the holy ghost got him born again baptized him and when he baptizes him he lays him down in the water that unit comes back up and and philip is gone now is that a testimony to god working in your life i mean <laughs> he, the guy was there when he laid me down and then when I came back up, he was gone, all right? Now, we'll, we'll skip down ahead because I want to get to the prophet before we're done here. <clears throat> um, go to, let's go to verse, uh, verse 39, okay? And then when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40, but Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now this is, this is the mind of God, okay? This is not a powerless gospel. This is, I mean, this one guy is like a fire that's starting all these cities on fire. It goes without saying that what he did over there in Samaria, he was gonna do in all those other places. It goes without saying. The Holy Ghost was working with him. You cannot have the operation of an evangelist without the Holy Ghost. They will be accompanied with signs and with miracles. Okay? Amen? So the, the evangelist carries one message, and that is the born-again message. That is to be, to be, you need Jesus, all right? Now, you know, we, we won't go down the rabbit trail of, of some of those things, but suffice it to say, that's what evangelist is called to do okay they're not called to pastor part-time to gather funds to go do what god's called them to do okay unless god has told you that specifically it's your your calling is defined by him 
and you trust him for the provision to go do that. Amen? All right. Let's go to the prophet now. Uh, why don't we go to Acts chapter, let's go to 11, okay? So this is going to be Agabus again. Acts 11, we'll start here in verse, uh, let's see, let's start in verse 27. I, uh, I always like to use this analogy, it's, I can't really improve on it, but uh, Pastor Dave in Tulsa, he'd always say, you know, you may have a blender, and you may have a toaster, you may have a microwave, but they all run on the same power, right? They do different things, but they all run on the same power. And the Holy Ghost is that power, and the offices, they all have different functions, but they all need that power to operate. You take the power away, they're all just dead the same, okay? <laughs> all right, so here is an example of the power of God in the office of a prophet. Now, we already saw back in Acts chapter... Um, it was uh, 21, that he prophesied and foretold that what Paul was going to have to go through, okay? Um, and um, let's go to everybody in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Um, and in the, and these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus. Now, this is the same Agabus, okay, as far as I can tell, <laughs> The same Agabus, okay, that gave this warning to Paul. He's saying this here. And signified by the Spirit. Everybody say, by the Spirit. You can't do it without the Holy Ghost, okay? Signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth. Now, in King James, dearth is a, a famine, okay? So this is a natural catastrophe that's happening. That was, that, and the Holy Ghost alerted the prophet to tell the entire body of Christ. Okay, now he came down and there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be great dearth or famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it to, el to the elders by the hands of Barn Barnabas and Saul. And you can read about what Barnabas and Paul or Saul did in, in some of his epistles when he was talking to the, the Corinthians and some of the other churches, how that they were, that was part of their commission in this whole endeavor was to gather funds from all these churches to help, okay? Because the prophet, everybody say the prophet. The prophet, and see, this is supposed to be the eyes in a sense the eyes of the body of Christ because they're seeing things ahead and that's what Jesus said, said would happen, that they would see those things that are ahead. The Holy Ghost would tell you things to come, okay? So the prophet gives this word of what is to come and they're able to pre, um, prepare, okay? They're able to take all of this surplus that they have and prepare for something that's coming ahead of time. This is a famine that went throughout the whole world, the known world, okay? Imagine how effective the body of Christ would be if they were one step ahead of what was happening instead of one step behind. Now, I'm not, I'm not uh, disparaging any kind of 
um, disaster relief that we put on. But this is better than that. This is Holy Ghost disaster relief. This is, we're going to solve it before it even starts relief. This is, this is the power of God right? This is not, oh my goodness, let's pray as their houses are blowing <laughs> you know? This is, let's get this ready now so that when this happens, we can be. And you imagine what kind of witness that was to all of those people? I think of uh, the, one of the Old Testament type and shadows of this was, um, was Joseph, okay? How that Joseph had that, he had that natural gift of administration, but he could not with all of his wisdom, do anything without the Holy Ghost telling him there's coming seven days or seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. With that one word, he went from nobody in a prison to the second in command. One word. It is the word of God that carries value, okay? And when a prophet gives up and it's a trustworthy source <laughs> that gives the word, you can trust that what's being said is not guessing. It's going to happen, okay? And um, I, I think that there's, I'm just going to get on a soapbox for a minute. <laughs> I don't like prophets <laughs> that you can't tell what they're saying. I, I, there's so many prophets that write books, look at their ministries, listen to what they say. And they give you pieces that could be interpreted 50 different ways, right? And they give you this and they give you that and they claim they're in a prophet position. Look, if it's gonna happen, just stick your foot out there and tell us. We're not in the Old Testament. We're not gonna kill you. <laughs> in the Old Testament, if you're wrong, you, you, need, to, you need to get your travel bag and get out because <laughs> you're, not, you're not qualified to be delivering God's messages. You are a false prophet if what you say did not come to pass, all right? But I don't, I don't like prophets that claim they know the future, but they don't give you clear enough instructions to act on. What's unclear about this? See, when, when we see this guy operating, it's very clear what's about to happen. There's gonna be a famine. We need to prepare. Okay. There's go if, you go, if you go to Jerusalem, this is, you're gonna be tied and you're gonna go to your death. Now, prophets, they deliver the word of God without <laughs> equivocation. They're not mad at you. They're just saying what God said, okay? And they don't care if they offend you or not. And there is an element of prophets, and, and another good uh, New Testament example of that, even though he was right before the, the true beginning of the New Testament, was John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist foretold that there was another one coming, like, okay? There was another one coming that, and he was, pre he was prophesying the coming of the Messiah. And he was also preaching a message of holiness, a message of repentance. And quite often what you see in, in the office of a prophet is they preach a message of holiness. They preach righteousness. They come to divide. They come to warn. They come to give you, it might not be fun while you're receiving it, but you need it, right? Would you rather die? <laughs> no, I'd rather not die. Please tell me, you know, because that's what the prophet will come and do. He'll come and give you a warning. They will, they're going to be real hard on sin. They're black and white in their message, okay? And uh, I think I told you this before, but, um, well, Nathan Nathan Varble, who'll be here in two weeks, he doesn't go around touting himself as a prophet, okay? doesn't really matter if anybody else cares. And what matters is that he does his office, okay? But there, he, 
whether or not he's, I'll let him talk to that somewhat, but I believe in, that he is in the office of a prophet. He's, the Lord is using him in that respect in many ways, in the way he confronts sin, in the way that he preaches holiness, in the black and white of his message. Okay. And there is clarity to the things he says. And that's the way a prophet should be, by the Spirit of God. It's not, you know, who can tell. You know, it's not going to be these little pieces of a picture. And what does this mean? <laughs> when, you leave, when prophet's done, you should not be asking, what does this mean? <laughs> All right? So, uh, so we see here that he gives this warning. And, and uh, there are the eyes to the body of Christ. They give you the foresight. They give the whole body foresight. But you cannot operate as a prophet without the Spirit of God. You absolutely cannot. And um, you don't get to pick what you are. He picks what you are. And as long as you're walking, let me just uh, exhort for just a minute here before we close. I think we're about done. Um, There is a there is a false humility among God's people that's truly pride. It's truly pride that says, oh no, I'm not apostle. Oh no, I'm not a prophet. Oh no, I'm not called to work miracles or anything like that. If you're not, who is? And see, we all, we all can believe good things about somebody else. The devil doesn't come to fight you on that ground. He comes to fight you on your ground. You are called to a place in the body. And it's, one of, it's been one of the hardest battles I've had to believe some of the things he says about me. Everybody say about me. See, see, true yieldedness is not false humility. It's not going around being humble like, oh, you know, I can't do that. Oh, if God wills it. Sounds good. It's completely ineffective. Because if you're not agreeing with him, you're not, humil- you're not being humble. And if he said, I've called you to do this, it doesn't matter if it sounds weird to anybody else. If you're a prophet, you follow him. If you're an apostle, you follow him. Okay? If he's called you to be a Philip, the evangelist, and he says, I've got these same things for you that Philip, you know, you follow him. Because the world needs believers empowered by the Holy Ghost. It does not need more believers that look like everybody else. We need the power of God in the church yesterday. And I believe God has always wanted it there. But there is traditions and beliefs and little old me complexes that have been handed down that we're just supposed to bunker down and wait for Jesus to get here. Well, Jesus said he was going to get here, but before that, the gospel was going to be preached to the whole world. So I don't think he's getting here until we get on with it. (laughs) Amen. I don't believe he's coming in two years. I don't believe he's coming in five years. Stop putting plans off and start following him. I don't like this move in the body of Christ where they preach Jesus is coming. He's not coming. We need to win the world. Stop waiting. I've had people tell me he's going to come within 10 years. That was 20 years ago. Every time they talk, it's 10 years. He's going to come 10 years. Don't you ever listen to yourself. I'd rather be found working. (laughs) I'd rather be found working with the Holy Ghost. We don't need to predict when he comes. Amen? He said you're going to know the times and the seasons, and maybe they're at hand. Okay. 
but let's be about doing what he said we would do, which was preaching the gospel to the whole world. And incidentally, the gospel to be preached requires a Philip kind of gospel, that the signs and wonders go forward. Not just, I, I love the fact that the word of God is being seated in every country around the world. I believe that's God's work. Don't mishear me. But there needs to be the power of the Holy Ghost to bear witness with the word. And that is what's going to pre, that is what's going to uh, pre, uh, what's the word? That is the pre, I'm missing it, but that's what's gonna come before Jesus coming back. Is when you put that on display and the whole world has to make a, a yes or no choice for God. And then Jesus is gonna come back. That's what he said. The gospel's gonna be preached. So that's the, the uh, uh, evangelist and the prophet. And there is no office where the Holy Ghost is not involved. Amen.